Trigeminal Neuralgia. A recent review in The Lancet on Trigeminal Neuralgia, TN, is a good occasion for a new podcast on the most recent update on new insights on this tremendous pain problem. The article is from The Lancet, written by Benson, from the Department of Neurology in Denmark. They will provide us an update on diagnosis, classification, pathophysiology, neuroimaging, treatment and prognosis of patients with TM. We will solely talk about primary, also called classical, and idiopathic neuralgia. We won't go deeper on the secondary form where other lesions like tumors or multiple sclerosis causes the symptoms. The official definition is recurrent severe bursts of pain in the trigeminal territory, lasting from a fraction of a second up to two minutes, with pain described as electric shock-like stabbing. Often the pain is triggered by stimuli like cold wind, shaving or chewing. Three other facts on TN. The typical patient is a woman in her 50s. Some smaller studies suggest a genetic alteration in sodium channels. The two best-known classifications are from the International Headache Society and the International Association for Study of Pain. They align their definitions and what was previously termed classical is now termed either classical or idiopathic in both classifications. And this depends on whether there is a neurovascular conflict with morphological changes of the trigeminal nerve or not. It is important to state that it remains a clinical diagnosis. Patients generally have normal neurological examination, though sometimes mild hyperesthesia can be seen in primary trigeminal neuralgia. Pain is short-lasting, 1 second to 2 minutes, and described as stabbing and ice pick-like. Paroxysms are variable and range from a few per day to more than 100 a day. Fewer patients, between 14 and 50%, also describe a continuous pain in the same area as a stabbing pain. Most often, this pain is felt in the second and third division of the trigeminal nerve. Also typical for this pain is that it is triggered by talking, chewing, toothbrushing and face washing. Compression of a blood vessel at the root entry zone is the best known cause. This zone of transition of peripheral Schwanzel myelinization to central oligodendroglia myelinization is thought to make the entry zone particularly susceptible to pressure. Demyelinated afferents tend to become hyperexcitable and capable of generating ectopic impulses manifesting as continuous pain. The intense, near-explosive pain has been hypothesized to be due to trigeminal ganglion cell somata developing Dutch-evoked prolonged discharges, which spread from one cell to the other. Short on the imaging. Even though imaging isn't used to make the diagnosis, 
It is essential to differentiate between primary and secondary trigeminal neuralgia. We use a combination of three high-resolution sequences. We use 3D to T2 weighted, we use 3D time of flight, and we use MR angiography along with a 3D T1 weighted gadolinium. This has proved to be reliable in detecting a vascular contact and so differentiate between classical and idiopathic trigeminal neuralgia. Some interesting facts relating to the imaging. Atrophy and displacement of the trigeminal nerve are highly associated with the symptomatic site. Diffusion tensor imaging DTI, provides valuable info about the neural structure and for example can show that fractional anisotropy a measure for what measure integrity is distinct at the root entry zone of a symptomatic nerve. An interesting Canadian study found cortical and subcortical alterations in areas of pain modulation. It is normalized after pain decompression. For acute treatment, meant for patients with exacerbations of attacks with high frequency, there are no random clinical trials. According to a widely held clinical view, opioids are not effective in safe doses and should be avoided. Clinical experience learned that infusion of phenytoin and lidocaine are effective, but this isn't supported by much scientific evidence. These drugs should also only be given on high dependency units. Also, for long-term preventive treatment, evidence is low to moderate. Carbamazepine and oxazarabazepine are the first-choice drugs for long treatment, but are often hampered by side effects. Clinical experience suggests that there is considerable variability of individual responses to both. Hence. If one drug is not sufficiently effective, the other one should be tried. Not the same can be said when there is allergy, because we should pay attention to the cross-reactivity. That's why patients should be encouraged to downsize doses in periods of partial or complete remission. Lamotrigine, gabapentin and botulinum toxin, pregabalin and baclofen or even phenytoin could be used either as an add-on or as monotherapy. Even though the recommendation for use of botulinum toxin was the most important addition to the medical treatment field in the European Academy of Neurology guideline, again large-scale RCTs, random clinical trials, are needed. Other second-line options, such as local anesthetics, greater occipital nerve blocks or topimerat are used by some experts, but the evidence is again scarce. Now, finally, let's talk neurosurgery. We all have the experience that the neurovascular decompression, the Giannetta surgery, has good effect on many of our patients. But still, there is no scientific evidence for early surgery. And even though some patients valued surgery higher than medical treatment, guidelines 
recommend trying medical treatment first and before surgery is offered, carbamazepine and oxazarbazepine should be tested together with the best of these drugs then combined with either gabapentin, regabalin or lamotrine. We have three surgical options, a microvascular decompression, a percutaneous thermal coagulation or compression of the cannula, and radius surgery with gamma knife. Now shortly on the good results and complications of these treatments. Efficacy of microvascular decompression is high, between 62 and 89%. On top, severe complications as death, stroke, anesthesia dolorosa are rare. Less severe complications like cranial nerve pulses, hearing loss and facial anesthesia are a bit more common and range between 1-4%. to When an MRI does not show any vascular contact, ablative treatments should be the preferred choice. These treatments also have good results. 55-80% to of patients with TM were pain-free after balloon compression, 30, between 30 and 66% after gamma knife surgery, 26 to 82% after radiofrequency thermocoagulation, and 19 to 58% after glycerol injections. Even though these numbers seem very promising, most data on neurosurgery for TM is retrospective and results should be interpreted with caution. In the future, it would be interesting to compare the effectiveness of decompression in idiopathic versus classical TM. As with many things, a multidisciplinary approach is recommended if your center is aiming for top-level treatment. This team consists of neurosurgeons, neuroradiologists, nurses, physiotherapists and psychologists involved in TM care. This proposal was tested in a Danish setup with 186 patients in which all patients with TM were first seen by a neurologist and then underwent a 3T3 Tesla MRI that was evaluated by a neuroradiologist. Pharmacotherapy followed international guidelines and the patients had an option to contact clinical nurse specialists. If adequate pain relief did not occur, the patients were referred to a neurosurgeon. This setup led to a satisfactory pain management in most patients and did not cause an unnecessary long delay before referral to surgery. Also, the concept of a telephone service with a clinical nurse specialist as able to get rapid advice and prescriptions for patients was a huge success. As numbers are showing alarming numbers of anxiety, depression and work leave in these patients, support groups are being developed to guide these patients. For a long time, common belief was that TN was a progressive disease. But more recent studies contradict this fact. One retrospective Italian study found that after a follow-up of 9 months, only 8% of patients developed resistance to TN medication or had more pain. 
7% went on to have neurosurgical intervention during the follow-up period. A prospective Danish study found after a follow-up of two years that 27% of patients underwent surgery. For other patients, dosage of medication wasn't changed over the two years of follow-up. The authors also suggest some future directions. What is interesting, and still a major question, is the unexplained gender distribution. As we already said, TN is found more often in women. But this association is more complicated than you might think. You have to know that a neurovascular conflict plays a major role in the etiology of classical TN. But it must be stressed that it is severe neurovascular conflict that is associated with TN. Severe means with displacement or atrophy of the trigeminal nerve. And the simplest neurovascular conflict, which means no displacement and no atrophy, is often found on the asymptomatic side and or in healthy individuals. When we look at the gender distribution for severe neurovascular conflicts, we find five times more often men than women. This led to the conclusion that maybe other etiological factors contribute to the trigeminal neuralgia in women. The average age of onset being 49 years old lets us speculate that hormonal fluctuations related to perimenopause may damage the ultrastructure of myelin membrane. Also, it is well known that chronic pain and induced central sensitization is more prevalent among women. This is in the line with the findings of Barker et al, who documented that the female sex was a predictor of recurrence of pain after microvascular conflict, decompression. Another point of future interest is the differences between trigeminal neuralgia with and without concomitant persistent pain. It is not really understood why persistent pain is more often seen in female patients. Other future ideas are on treatment options. For example, studies on sodium channel blockers and peripheral nerve field stimulation is promising but not yet strong enough to prove their value. Also, surgical effects aren't completely clear, as sham-controlled studies in patients with trigeminal neuralgia would be difficult to do. But it is important to keep in mind that the placebo effect in trigeminal neuralgia surgery might be even higher than was seen in drug trials. That was about it. Thanks for listening, keep fit and get in touch if you want to do some remarks or ask me some questions. Thanks for listening and see you next time.